if you've watched the movie Up, but in the movie Up, there's probably one of the most beloved characters in all Disney movies. You want to take a guess? Here he is. Give him, give him his due time. Oh, is it? Are we not? Oh, buddy. Okay. I'm holding it. There it is. There it is. Oh, man. Doug. Like, Doug's one of the most beloved characters in all Disney movies. And what is his famous word? Someone said it. Okay, I might have missed my audience. His word is squirrel. Okay, all right. So I really thought this was going to hit in a different way. Well, let me explain this to you. So there's this dog, and he obviously, in my mind, is the most beloved character in all the Disney movies. And he's got a lot of energy, and he's very distracted. And when he focuses in on something, if anything distracts him, he thinks it's a squirrel. And so he'll be right here with you, and then something will you know, move in his periphery, and he'll say, squirrel. And then he's off to this thing. And this reason this is so funny, at least I thought it was before I started talking to you, uh, was that it, it represents so many of us where we're locked in on something, we're super focused, and then something catches our attention, and then we're squirrel, and then we're off to something else. And so, at least in my circle of friends, uh, this is something we, we will joke about, and even in our own household, we'll joke about this, is when we're, when we're focused in on something, and then one of us is distracted, immediately someone will say, squirrel, and then, because that person has been distracted. Man, I was about to spend another 10 minutes trying to explain this to you. Yeah, like I'm having my own squirrel moment trying to, trying to get you to understand Doug saying squirrel. Now I'm all distracted. Okay, everyone on the same page now? Doug, squirrel, got it. And all I wanted to do was tell you that I was having a Doug moment studying this passage of Scripture. I had lots of squirrel moments. That's really all I wanted to tell you. Now, i got two options, by the way. Let me give you another school. i got two options now moving forward in the future. Now that I know that these Disney references aren't going to hit the way I want them to, either I can move forward as a way of training you in the way of Disney, or I can just give up. You will get another reference. You will. Yeah. Let's just go into the Bible. Let's just go to the Bible. First Peter chapter uh, 2, chapter 2, we pick up with verse... Pick up with verse 4. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to him, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. 
which is also what they were destined for. What? They were destined to not believe? So I read this passage. I'm walking through this passage trying to figure out what are, what are we going to, what are we going to sit on for this Sunday? Do we take one verse? Do we take three, four verse? What are we going to do? And I had all kinds of squirrel moments. I just want to share with you some of those squirrel moments. I'm looking at this phrase built into a spiritual house and I'm like, that's the thing we need to focus on. And then I see a holy priesthood. No, we've got to focus on that. And then I see this offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Like, what is that? I, I'm, it's like squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. And then I hit this last phrase, what they were destined for. They didn't believe, which is what they were destined for. What is that all about? So you can see, like, I wanted to go multiple directions. I was like, I was dug living in this passage. But in the end, I, this whole passage goes together. In the context of the letter, this is one whole unit. And so we've got to take it as a whole, and I've got to let go of all of those squirrel moments. I want to take and see the bigger picture of what's happening in this larger passage. So if you're one of those people that say, man, I'd like to dig on that, I'm sorry, I can't satisfy you on this one. Because we've got to take the whole unit of the passage to get this key message that Paul's driving, uh, Peter is driving at. So let's take the passage in context. So all these things that come before you ever get to verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. So between chapter 1, verse 23, and chapter 2, verse 3, there's a series of commandments. Maybe, maybe we just do a quick review. There's just this long list of things Peter's telling them, do this, do this, do this, do this. Here it is. Here's the list of commands. Have alert minds. Set your hope on God's grace. Do not conform to evil desires. Be holy because God is. Live in reverent fear of God. Love one another deeply. Get rid of malice and deceit and slander. Crave God's word. I mean, I feel like if I just did those for the rest of my life, I'd be doing just fine. That's a, quite a list of commands. Just in those few verses that ever that come before this passage when we start in chapter 2, verse 4. Now, here's the thing that that Peter understands that drives him to this next to the start of verse 4 where we picked up this morning you don't stumble into those commands like you just don't accidentally you just don't accidentally become holy like it isn't just something you stumble into to be able to keep those commands not only do you need God's word but with God's word you must come to the person who can enable you to keep those commands. Does that make sense? You, you, you need a power beyond yourself to keep those commands. You just can't become a person who doesn't speak malice just out of, out of thin air or just stumble into it as if you trip into following God's commands. You have to go to the source. And that's exactly where Peter starts in verse 4, right where we picked up this morning. So just so we don't forget where we started, look at, what, look at how Peter started it. As you come to him. As you come to Him. So, all of those commands, the way you keep all those commands, the way you even begin to crave God's Word, is you have to come to Jesus. You have to start with what, what Christians have called the Gospel ever since Jesus came back to life. You have to come to the Gospel. You have to come to Jesus. So you come to Him, and through Him you get all of the commands. But you don't get the commands on your own. You don't keep them by stumbling into them, you get to Jesus. By the way, you're going to go to somebody. 
You're going to watch the Today Show. You're going to watch another TV personality. You're going to turn on CNN or Fox News. You're going to pick somebody to listen to. The Bible is not some unreasonable, uh, some unreasonable document from the ancient world. It speaks to things we deal with even today. You come to Him. So it's, you, you come to Jesus and through Jesus you're getting all of these commands. But there's this other thing Peter says. Not just like Jesus is the him, the third person singular pronoun, him. He now describes Jesus in a new way. One way we haven't seen yet in the letter. So you come to him, the living stone. There's two things there to pick up. Number one, he's living. And so like there's no, this isn't metaphorical. Like he's literally living. He was dead, he's now alive. Now, there are many people in our world that do not believe in Jesus. Many people who doubt Jesus. Many people who don't have anything to do with Jesus. But every person's got to deal with this. You have to deal with the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus didn't come back to life, then you've got to deal with how in the world do all of these followers uh, emerge in the ancient world and ultimately become the core reason Rome fell. You've got to deal with that. I mean, if you've got a better reason, then, 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 then lean on that reason. But you cannot be neutral on the resurrection of Jesus. You could, be, you could be neutral on a lot of things, but you can't be neutral on that because that either happened or it didn't happen. So often when I, when I am talking with people who doubt, we always got to go to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because if, if you're going to be neutral anywhere, you can be it everywhere but that. You've got to deal with the resurrection. And, and so... And so for me, I think there's plenty of, there's enough historical evidence to say Jesus rose from the grave. And that changes everything. If Jesus is alive right now, that changes everything. And so for Peter, he's a living stone. Remember, this is the Peter who ate fish with Jesus. The, the Peter who saw Jesus show his hands and his side to doubting Thomas. This is Peter who has received revelation from the living Jesus. This is Peter, who knows he's alive. And so he says, you come to this living stone. Interesting stone. We're dealing with foundational stuff here. We're dealing with a rock. We're dealing with something steady, rooted. We're dealing with a boulder. It's a stone. Now, Peter just doesn't come out of this, come to this like out of his imagination. Throughout the Bible, we have some references to things, uh, to references to God being a foundation a rock. So, so Peter just doesn't like just make this stuff up out of nowhere. But he also remembers Jesus himself. Maybe you remember there's this moment where Jesus takes his disciples far away from Galilee to Caesarea Philippi. And he asks his disciples, well, now, who do you say, uh, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, they say you're this, this, and this, and this. And then, and then, and then, uh, then Jesus says, well, but who do you say I am? And then if you remember, if you remember, Peter says this, Matthew 16, verse uh, 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. OK, so you got this big truth that Jesus is Messiah. Look what comes next. Matthew 16, verse 17 uh, through. Uh, we'll just go with verse 17. Jesus replied. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father 
but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What's the rock here? It's it's the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Everything else will be built on Him. He is the rock. So when Peter calls Him the living stone, there's no doubt he's remembering that moment when Jesus, when Peter confessed Jesus as Messiah. And Peter in ter- uh, Jesus in turn said to Peter, it's that rock I'm building everything else on. And so now he tells these Christians in this letter, you come to Him the living stone. He's the rock. I have no doubt Peter's also remembering that famous ending to the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said this, this told this short parable, Matthew 7, verse 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rains came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You get Jesus the rock, you can withstand any hurricane, any storm that would ever be thrown your way. Now, you remember what came after this also. If you don't follow Jesus as the rock, it's like building on sand. And so when the rain comes and the storm hits your house, it falls. Jesus is the rock. Now, Peter understands something, though, about all of this, is that not everyone's going to believe Jesus is the rock, right? I mean, we know that. Peter knew that. Actually, it was predicted in the Old Testament that not everyone would see Jesus as the rock. So what he does is he quotes from Isaiah 28, Psalm 118, and Isaiah 8. These are these three uh, uh, passages that he quotes from the Old Testament, and each of them predicts how the Messiah would be rejected, but God would actually pick the one rejected as the rock to build everything else on. It was key. So take a look. I just want you to see how central everything hinges on where you stand with the rock. Here it is. I'm just going to take. Just going to read right back through the passage, just this one and a half verses. I just want you to pay attention to the hinge. Everything hinges on either you believe or you don't believe, either you reject or you accept, this one whom God has chosen, this rock. Verse 7, now, I, now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message. Don't go to that slide yet. Not that, no, not yet. I want to lead up to it. I have a runway to that one. Um, so, so what's really key here is, did you see they stumble? Why do they stumble? Because they did not believe the message about the rock. So that tells me that in the end, you won't be judged by your party affiliation in American politics. In the end, you won't be judged which what team you root for. In the end, everything will hinge on your relationship with Jesus. There are a lot of reasons you can stumble in this world, but Peter says there's one reason that the ultimate stumble comes, because you disobey the message. It's the same thing that Jesus is talking about. You've got two, two ways you can build your house. You can listen to me or listen to anyone else. If you listen to anyone else and try to build your house, it will fall. Now, it may look really great for a long time, but the day will come where it will fall. You can bank on it. 
But if you build on me, it will never fall. Even when rain comes and storms hit, even when a hurricane blows through your life and you lose everything, don't you worry, nothing will be shaken at the foundation. Now, honestly, like if I'm looking at those two, I'm saying I want the one where nothing will, nothing will shake, nothing will fall. That's the one I want. But there's a lot of deception in our world, and there are a lot of people who will disobey the message. But again, one hinge, it's Jesus. All right? So here's, here's, here's how I'd summarize it. In reality, that is the way things really are. Like, the way God's kingdom really operates. In reality, life does not divide along political lines or race or gender or socioeconomic status. Life does divide between those who believe in Jesus and those who do not. In the end, God will not look at someone and say, your skin color matches the one I like. Come on in. Yours? Sorry, you're out. He won't look at someone and say, I'm sorry, when you voted that way, you, you voted yourself out of the kingdom. He won't say, when you rooted for that team, or you watched that news station, or you put your money in that stock. It will all come down to, I knew you. Come on in. Or I never knew you. Away from me. That, that's the way this thing's going to break down in the end. We just have a lot of other options in our world today. But they clutter the mind. There is one hint. It is Jesus. Alright, so like, Peter's not the only one saying this, obviously. Let me just show you 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, and then verses 23-25. through 25. Take a look at how Paul says this. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God for the foolishness of God. I love this. The foolishness of, uh, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Everything hinges on Christ crucified, and then Him raised from the dead. That's how, that's, it, everything hinges there. It is literally the power of God in the universe. And don't worry, there will be those who do not believe. Interestingly, remember Peter says they were destined for it. We won't dig there, but it's in the Bible. Now, if we had to summarize all of that and just say it even more concisely, Paul does it right here. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17. Probably one of, one of the most glaring declarations of everything we're talking about right here. He, this is Christ, He is before all things, and in, in Him all things hold together. In the end, everything else will spiral out of control except what is in Christ. And he's literally holding the world together. And there are billions of people who don't see it. They trust their own strength. They think they're the sin of the universe. It is sin in flesh. And praise God that Christ came to crucify it on the cross. And one day, all will be made right for all who believe. But literally, he's the hinge. All right. That's right there, all in that passage. That's the key to verses 4 through 8. For all the squirrel moments that I wanted to have and I was having, that whole passage is about Jesus being the center of the world. 
And many rejected him, but God took what was rejected and made it the cornerstone. That's Jesus. All right, so let's make some application here, okay? We'll quickly move through this. Number one, don't be surprised when the world does not like you. And let me say this to you, mostly Americans, right? I think. I think all of you are Americans. Mark? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I, I've been hearing some things. I just, I don't know. I just, we won't talk about it. Not here. This isn't the forum. <laughs> I'm so glad they can't hear you on the mic. All right. Okay. So, so listen, we, we have this idea. We have this idea, I think, among particularly American, American Christians, that, that as things spiral downward in our country, or at least we may even perceive it as that way, which there's no doubt there are some things that are definitely farther and farther from God. We have this idea we have this idea that how could it ever be? We have this idea that God would never let something like this happen. And that if it does, if it does, this is the worst thing that could ever happen. What's going to happen? The world may not like us. Yes, that's exactly right. The world will not like Christians. Right now we are still living on, in America, we are still living on the residue of the founding of this country based in Judeo-Christian truth. But that the residue of that founding continues to seep away. And increasingly, it will become more and more hostile to be a Christian in the United States. One day, it will probably be hate speech for me to say some of the things I have said from this stage. But do not be surprised. Do not be surprised in everyday life when you try to do the right thing and someone gets mad at you. Like, just don't be surprised. It's almost like Jesus told us it would happen. John 15 just let, let, let's let Jesus speak. If the world hates you, John fifteen eighteen. if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I have, this, I have this sense among American Christians that we want to be liked more than the world like Jesus. That somehow we can do better than he did. No! When we stand for truth and then we're persecuted, even if we lose property... And income. Do not be surprised. They hated Jesus too. Squirrel. <laughs> a real squirrel moment for me. I'm like, is the Holy Spirit, like, did I just, did I misspeak? Or was that confirmation? Uh, like, is the world about to come to the end? Like, that, that sounded like an alarm. Okay. All right. A lot of things went there. Yeah. Okay. Here's the second thing. Well, here's the second thing. Here it is. Here's the second application. Evaluate where you are with Jesus. Just evaluate where you are. Okay, so, so I'm going to bring back something we've, we've seen multiple times in my time at East 10th Street, and you'll see it multiple more times, because I don't have a better way to visualize it. We have to visualize where we are with Jesus. And I just don't think that means you're saved or unsaved. I just never think it's that simple. Now, in the end, it's going to break down that way. But, but I, think, I think sometimes we get this idea that, that either I got my status is saved or I don't, so I'm good. Either way, like some people say, I don't, I don't have anything to do with Jesus. Or particularly those Christians say, I'm saved, but they're definitely not living like they're saved. I want to see this thing with Jesus also in relational terms. There's no doubt that being with Jesus is a status. There's a piece of it that's status. You are righteous in the eyes of God because He gave His righteousness to you. And you are now a child of God. Boom. That's it. 
status changed. But there's also this relational dimension. Because we are in relationship with Christ. And so let me visualize it this way. Let's put that first circle up. Some There are many in our world who are outside of Jesus. The arrow it, uh, next to the circle are those outside of Christ, and they are running away from Him. And in the end, they will run and run and run, and they will get what they are destined for, away from Christ. They've never known Christ. Okay, here's this other circle. There are those, though, that are outside of Christ, but they are searching. God is beginning to draw them in by His grace. God is doing something. Now, they have not yet been saved by grace. They've never repented and been baptized. They've never moved into His fellowship. But, but God's doing something. You may know people like that. They're asking questions. They're stirring. Something's happening. There's a world of people that are searching. I believe there's a world of people right now in our, in our city that are probably searching. Now, here's the two that apply to most of us, I'm sure. There are many of us who are in Christ. We have been saved. We are children of God and we grow ever closer to Him. You're in His Word. You're training yourself in kindness and patience. You come to the church building and you gather to worship. I mean, just you're growing in your relationship with Christ. But there's this other one. It's this circle. This is the one that is probably that probably plagues many. You know Christ. You have been stamped as a son of the Most High or a daughter of the King. But you are moving more and more away from Him. You do not read His Word. You make very little effort to know Him. Church is a convenience. If it works, it works. I'll go. But if not, then I'm not. If it, if it impedes on my schedule. I mean, these are just some of the ways it works out. Please understand, I don't think you showing up to the church building gets you the stamp, you know, the salvation stamp. That would just be another work that you have to do. No, I'm saying, but you can tell that the fruit of your life is spiraling into chaos. Are you more angry at home? Are you yelling more? Are you, are, is, is your temper on the, on the, on the um, you know, on the surface of your skin? You know what this looks like as your life seems more chaotic. You're just, your life is more and more, uh, life is spiraling into chaos. Are you more angry at home? Are you yelling more? Are you, are, is, is your temper on the, on the, on the um, you know, on the surface of your skin? You, you know what this looks like as your life seems more chaotic. You're just, your life is, we are saved in Christ even if you're not. Here would be my next step. Make a choice each day that moves you towards Jesus. You can't do this, by the way, on your own. Like It's not like you've got enough willpower in your life to, to fulfill all the commands of God. No, you can't. That's why you and I need Jesus, the rock. Because it's by His blood we have been saved. He, he took on the punishment we deserve. But each day, make a decision. That draws you closer to Christ. You know, i got all these weird things that you can do. You write, literally write the name of Jesus on a sticky note. Sometimes I think that the, the best thing you and I can do is literally put the name of Jesus in front of our mind during the day that seems to be so out of control. Or those places that you don't really think about Jesus. Who gets in the car and thinks about Jesus? 
Literally, like I'm, I'm not talking about a metaphorical car. I'm talking about who gets in the car to go to Walmart and thinks about Jesus. Some of you might. You're like, yeah, if I'm going to Walmart, I'm thinking about Jesus. Like, you get the point. So, so sometimes all what we need is we need to put G, we need to understand that Jesus is with us even in those parts of life that seem so mundane. And he, why would he be a part of this? You know, this area of my life. No, he's in every part. So, so do something each day tangible that puts Jesus in front of you. One of the things that I do, and the reason I use the YouVersion Bible app, is because I've got my phone with me all the time. And I am more likely to read the Bible if I have it on my phone than if I carry a physical Bible with me everywhere. So I'm trying to leverage the technology of the smartphone to help me draw closer to Jesus. And sometimes I go days without reading in the morning uh, through all the passages I'm supposed to read. And I've got to make them up. But that's, that's, that's just normal life for me. But every day make a decision to draw you to Jesus. For some of you, that means I've got to show up at the church building because there's no real reason that I can't be here. As some of you, I'm going to pick up my phone and open the Bible app and I'm going to see the verse of the day. Some of you know how to use reminders on your phone. Or you just say, hey Siri, set a reminder for tomorrow at 8 a.m. Just say Jesus. And all of a sudden, Siri will do it for you. And Jesus will be there at 8 a.m. Do you see the point? Let's draw closer to Jesus. And I'm saying, in, in, in the life that you actually live, do something that brings you closer to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Literally, I would have come to none of this if it wasn't for the Bible. So thank you for your grace in giving us your word. And thank you for your grace in giving us Christ. So now go with us into our week as we draw close to the living stone. The one the builders rejected, but whom you established as the cornerstone. May we build our foundation on him, the rock. We thank you that although we were unrighteous, we are now righteous in Christ. That is pure grace. Thank you for enabling repentance and baptism and making us more and more like your son that we may keep these commands. And in the end, would you help our homes just be more peaceful, our parenting more wise, our workplaces more efficient and excellent. And may we be people who are more and more full of love and not bitterness or envy. We lean on your son Jesus, the living stone. And so we pray that in his name. We will want to ask it under his authority. And together we say, Amen.